Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. Excellent. Well, ordinarily, uh, on a normal Sunday morning, I would uh, say to you, open your Bibles, and we would go to a portion of Scripture, and I would read that portion, and then I would kind of pull from that our thoughts for the day. I'm going to do it in reverse order today. I'm actually going to kind of tell you where I'm going, and the last thing we're going to do is to look at our text. All right, so all, all, all the folks that have been in church a while are going, oh my God, uh, just, it's going to be okay. Uh, but it's because as I looked at uh, our theme, which is, is there more? We've got signs everywhere, is there more? Is there more? The campaign, the idea for having an Easter uh, with, the, with the question, is there more? Is there joy? Is there hope? It came out of a time with me and some of our, our creative team just thinking and honestly just listening to, the, listening to what's going on in the culture and what is, what's the cry of, the, of humanity right now and right here. And as we were, were thinking, and as I really listened to, to uh, by the way, uh, you, you guys that are gray-haired like me, listen to the younger generation. Listen to them. We're not going to always agree. There will always be some generational tensions between them. That's just going to be, don't overreact to that. But listen, we, we, there's, a, there's something to be learned. And honestly, I was listening to, to them get very intense about this, this topic. Is there more? And so as I looked at it and did a little research, um, did you know that even right now in, in Montgomery County, uh, actually across the United States, the suicide rate is up 30% here in recent years. Anxiety, uh, hopelessness, and in Montgomery County, where this here, the woodlands and the beautiful magnolia and all the wonderful things that we have in this county, this is the number one county for suicides in Texas the second highest rate in the nation. Something is not right behind these trees. Everything looks good in front of the trees. And, uh, and I'm grateful that we live in a, a you know, highly you know, structured community that you know, uh, will, will tell you if your tree is not big enough for you to cut or your fence is too high or you need to repaint and all those things. They keep it looking really pretty, and I'm very thankful to be a part of the Woodlands, to be a part of Magnolia, this whole Montgomery County. But I will tell you, it's curious because we've never had so many uh, objective standards that have ever been ba better, gang, in the history of the world. Things have never been better, and, and people should never, if stuff would make us happy, we've never had more of it. Here in the Woodlands in Montgomery County, there's a lot of wealth and a lot of money. And for any thinker that would say, if I just had enough money, the, the opportunity is here to have happiness if it's about money, if it's about success. There's people all around us that are pushing us always to get better and be more excellent. And there's opportunities. There's oil and gas and there's uh, you know, United Airlines and all these different uh, hubs that are around here. This is a, a wonderful place to have success and to get ahead. And yet the anxiety has never been more. There's never been so much entertainment. Everybody uh, around here from about two years old, maybe one, uh, to, to 101 has something where they can entertain themselves. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, as uh, calling the TV people uh, at uh, AT&T, and anyway, that's a whole other story. But I was having a little 
a little issue, and we were working it out. But, you know, I realized we, we got I don't, probably a 1,000 channels. I don't know how many channels I have because I, I get tired before I can get to the end of them. Do you know, back when I was a kid, uh, there were 12 channels, and I was the TV changer. You know, all of you that were the youngest in your house, you know what that means. Hey, Randy, I could be in, in my back bedroom doing something very important. My brother would be slouched out on the couch. Randy, come here quick. I think, you know, the house is on fire. He'd say, hey, turn that TV for me. <laughs> Still have some bitterness. <clears throat> not, not, not through. But uh, success, money, beauty, if beauty is your thing, you can pay to have anything heightened, whitened, lightened, tightened, or brightened that you can afford, and there's no shame in it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, hallelujah. All of that, there's never been such emphasis on health and exercise. Anything that humans would worship, we've got it here in abundance. And it actually is becoming the point of anxiety and the reason that there's a question in the air. See, here's the deal. If you believe that if you had enough money but you never get that much money. If you thought, if I had enough money, I would be happy, but you never get that much money, you can die thinking, if only I would have gotten that much money. Solomon said this, I've denied myself nothing my eyes desired, and yet as I've reached all of these wonderful pleasures, it's all vanity. The worst thing that could happen to you is to actually get that much money and then have to realize there's still something not right. To have all the pleasure that you could want to have to actually have that at your fingertips and realize I'm still so dissatisfied. We live in a community and there's, so I started looking at, and by the way, I just want you to know, I, I, I went particularly to non-biblically biased thinking to start the, this. Why is, why are Americans unhappy, unfulfilled? Why is there anxiety in the air? Why is there a question among a lot of our young people? Is there more? Is there something more than all of this stuff? Well, uh, lots of research that I looked at. Harvard study that's been uh, questioning a group of men every two years since the 1930s, watching them grow, asking them questions. Why are you happy? What's working in your marriage? What's not working? Why are you in a under anxiety? These fantastic studies, one of them culminated all of the psychological studies, and, uh, and, and this is what it sounded like. Her name was Emily Smith, and she wrote a book called The Meaning of Life, and she did a fantastic job just collecting all of this. And, and here's what she found out. Because in the current culture, there's such a, a hunger and an expectation that we be happy. The actual pursuit of happiness in and of itself has created anxiety because happiness is not achievable. Not as a standard all the time. In other words, happiness, it's not, it's not a place you get and live. It's circumstantial. How many of you have realized just living a little life, there's happy times, and then there's the other? Christian and non-Christian, holy, unholy. There's joyful times and there's sorrowful times. And there's times in your marriage where it's like, woohoo, and there's times where it's, oh my God. And that's holy and unholy. Me and Sister Stacy, we have a great and wonderful uh, marriage. And I've heard her answer the question. People say, how long have y'all been married? She'll say, 30 years, 15, happily. And... Uh, <laughs> And it is just the, the honest truth of life being circumstantial. But if you get in your head and you start to look at the Kardashian, if you will, marketing of our, our current planet, 
where it just appears that if you were famous enough, had enough money, you would be happy. There's the ability to present an image of something that's achievable that really isn't achievable. And in the attempt to get there, it's creating a greater and greater hopelessness. And this sound is in the air. Is this all there is? Well, here's what she came up with, and here's what those studies came up with. Actually, the question that people are, are the, the soul thirst, the real psychological hunger is this. It isn't happiness. It's meaning. Everybody say meaning. Okay? We want to matter. Does my life matter? She came up with four pillars, and uh, again, non-biblically biased, and, and they are these. Number one pillar to having meaning is this, belonging. Everybody say belonging. Belonging, not meaning to be a part of a political group or to be a part of, of people that think like you think and hate what you hate. Way deeper than that. Belonging meaning you are accepted and loved, not for what you do or how you think, but for who you are. Down deep, are you loved and accepted, not because you get along to get along or go along to get along. But does anybody ever take the time to actually get to know the real you, warts and all, and still accept you? That's a hunger of the soul. Uh, number two is purpose. Purpose has a current uh, kind of definition, again, that's very self-aggrandizing, and it sounds like this. You know, I want to make a movie, and it's going to be about me, and I'm going to be the hero of my movie, and at the end, everybody carries me off on their shoulders, and I get applauded, not because I've really invested anything, because I'm just that cool. And it's a sense of self-valuing that has no, there's no basis to the value. It's just, I deserve this. Everybody gets a trophy kind of thinking. That's not the kind of purpose. There's something way deeper on the inside of, of, of our psyche that says, I want to make a difference. I want to matter somewhere. I want to be the answer to somebody's problem. I want to make a difference. Number three, pillar of meaning psychologically is transcendence. Transcendence simply meaning to be a part of something grander than yourself, to be a part of a cause that's actually doing something that's way bigger than you. You just want to be a part of a great cause and know that your life is being spent in that and that it's bigger than you are. And then uh, number four, and this is a strange one, but in the psychological studies, they say it differently, but it's storytelling. We have a need to tell our story, and her words, not mine, she said, it's important for people to tell their redemption story. She's not a believer. Emily Smith's not a believer. Redemption stories. In other words, I was down, I got up. I went through this, I survived. Redemption story. If you're a believer in the room today, you would think, isn't it strange, peculiar, that we are discovering what's at the core of the thirst of humankind, and it is to belong, to have purpose, to be a part of a greater cause than ourselves, and to be able to give our story about how this has affected our life. That in the Bible, that from creation, God created you and me, and this is consistent. Here's the beautiful thing about this message today. It is consistent with every single human life. You want to matter. We've created this current you know, world where we can spend our energies creating the image of something important and think that that's where our energy should be, should be spent. And you can spend your life acting like what you wished you were and lose your entire life acting. 
It's a strange phenomena that we find our in, that everything that should make us happy, we have it in abundance. It's right here on the dirt we're standing on, and there's more anxiety in a mile radius of right here, every human, there's, there's anxiety. What's happening here, right? Well, here, here's what I want you to know. What Jesus Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection, it is not simply... We're not here today to simply go, wow, 2,000 years ago, a wonderful thing happened. Let's celebrate the history of it. If it doesn't have any meaning to us right here in this moment, then what is the point? And, and hence, is there more? Is there more to this Easter time than, than this? So here's what I want you to hear. God, through the gospel, the gospel being our language for the good news of what Jesus accomplished he actually came to rescue and save us. And, and here's what he brought, belonging. In Christ, that is, if you receive Christ Jesus, if you came into a relationship with God, he is the only place where you're accepted just like you are before you change, before you act better, before you're a nice person. John 10, 10 says it this way. Jesus speaking of himself. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life we might think of as you know, more money or more friends or more friends on Facebook or whatever. That's not what he's meaning. He, he meant what these psychological studies have, are just now discovering. He invented it because he put those soul thirsts in you and he's saying this, I've come that your life may have meaning and have meaning abundantly. The thing your soul is, is thirsty for Jesus brought to us. The one, the first one is that you would belong. Jesus had a woman that came up to him. You know, some of you are here today and you don't come to church very often. And don't, be, I'm not, you know, outing you or anything like You don't come because you don't like church people. You don't like Christians. Listen, I'm a pastor. There's some I like, some I like less. Uh, <laughs> that's just human. And I want you to know, you're, you're not in an odd seat. And it's quite likely that some very well-meaning Christians following some very common logic have approached you at some point and have been, to say it nicely, off-putting to you. And you would say something like this, I think I could handle God if I didn't have to put up with his people. And that's, listen, and I'm gonna challenge you because no matter where you're at, there's gonna be people. And in the church... There's nothing but broken people trying to get healed. And some of us say stupid stuff. I, I remember preaching sermons back when I was 19, 20, 21, and I, 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 I shudder when I think, oh my God, Lord, please, I hope nobody remembers any of that. Because it was awful, and here's what it sounded like. You get your life together. Get your life together, and then God will approve of you. Every religion says this, get your act together. If you're an adulterer, you need to be monogamous with your wife. If you're cheating, you need to play fair. If you're lying, you need to tell the truth. You get your act together, and then God will accept you. Do you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this? He comes to you and says, I accept you just like you are and right where you are right now. I accept you for who you are right now, and now I'm going to help you clean up behavior. You get to start right where you are, as Dallas said earlier. You get to start right where you're at. A woman was caught in adultery and was brought to Jesus. And uh, her, the church people of the day brought her, and they had caught her in the act. She was covered with nothing but a sheet. They brought her up to the front of the church. 
while service is going on. This poor lady is shamed and embarrassed, and these religious people all trying to be right. By the way, the, 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 the goal of Christianity isn't to be right in arguments. They bring her up, and they're trying to be right, and they point to, the, to their Bible of the day and say, this is what's right. By the law of God, she should be killed. Let's stone her. Jesus, what do you have to say about it? And Jesus said, fantastic. You're absolutely right. That is what the law of God says. You guys, take her out, pummel her, kill her. You are absolutely right. And he starts throwing them rocks. Here, brother Bobby. Here, brother Billy. Here, and he says, here's the only rule. Let him who has never sinned throw the first one. And if just one of you is not sinned, you throw the first one. Then everybody else join in. Kill her. You're right. Y'all get out of here. We're trying to have church. And all of a sudden, don't, 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 rocks start dropping. And these guys start backing away. Ultimately, every single one of them backed away because they were convicted by God himself saying, if you're so big and bad, you do the judgment. There was only one in the room that was without sin that could have thrown the first one. And he looked down at this precious woman and he said this, where are your accusers and where are those who have condemned you? And she said, sir, they're all gone. And here's what he said, in this order, one, neither do I condemn you, two, go and sin no more. Now, just well-meaning Christians would say it this way, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. Jesus said it just the opposite, and that's what makes Christianity different from every other religious belief system. Just like you are, I do not condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation over your life. Pastor, you don't know what I've been to. You don't know what I did last night. I don't have to know. Here's what I know. People judge you by what you do. God judges what you do by who he knows you to be. He created you, and he bought you. And while you and I were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up. The soul thirst that everybody in here has is this. Am I loved just for who I am, regardless of my goof-ups, my mess-ups, and all that? And here's the answer. Only by God are you loved and accepted that way. That soul thirst is met in Christ. Number two purpose, calling. That's what we call it in, in uh, Christianity, calling. And that is this, you were created by God on purpose. You have specific gifts and talents and influences that God put there. And the Bible says this, that of those gifts and talents, there is, there is absolutely, they are warranted forever. There is no repenting or pulling them back. Pastor, but I, I'm not even saved. It doesn't matter what you were created in your mother's wombs, the gifts and the talents and the capacities for influence. They were given to you by God so that you could ultimately fulfill your purpose and have an influence and add value to others' lives. That's what purpose is. It's the ability to serve others and to add value to their lives, right? We are obsessed with self-esteem. We're desperately trying to like ourselves, and so we've created, again, this image of people telling us that we're better than we are. You know, just tell yourself enough times that you're a good person, you're a good person. Here's the deal. You know on the inside, there's no justification for what you're saying. And yet our whole society has become so timid and sensitive about speaking to each other, any level of truth, 
We've elevated hypersensitivity like you can't even talk because you might offend somebody. And it's because all we want to hear is a lie that we're better than we really are. And we want to tell ourselves that lie. And it's a trap. And the reason anxiety is so strong is because you know you and you know when your head hits the pillow and I know me. If there's not a basis for my value, I can't just tell my, you know, everybody getting a trophy and all of that. There's a reason why you get rewarded for things. It's because you've earned it. There's something about you. Here's the deal. God said regarding your self-esteem, it has to do with purpose and service. Esteem others, esteem others more highly than yourself. Serve, be the last in line, and God will see you as the first. Do you know that there's a psychological healing that happens to you, both in your emotions and in your mind? When you selflessly give to another, something gets healed in you. Our creator made it that way. Do you know if you'll practice that? If you'll practice that, you'll begin to feel purpose. Thirdly, transcendence in the gospel. What's a greater cause than rescuing the entire planet, every man and woman, to restore them to God and to the life God called them to live? It's a cause great, and God's called every person here to join him in that cause. It starts with giving your life to him. And number four, to tell your story. Everybody here has a redemptive story when you come to Christ. Mine is boring to me because I have to listen to me all the time. I rehearse it. You need to know something. Somebody needs to hear your redemptive story. Isn't it interesting that what psychology has discovered is the the reason for anxiety and what the soul is thirsting for, that God created you with those hungers and that God himself put them there so that you today would find him. Pastor Andy, then what, what is the point? Why are we talking about this on Easter Sunday morning? I'm glad you asked that. It is because there's so much more to this story than just what happened 2,000 years ago. I want to read it to you here in Scripture. To my text, if I can find it here. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You were dead, not not oxygen, you're still taking in oxygen, but you were pointless, meaningless, dead. And, And here's what it also means. Your life is headed toward nowhere. You're chasing things that aren't going to achieve anything. Christ Jesus was perfect, but he died on Friday night. The story goes Thursday night, a kangaroo court, six different court sessions between 9 p.m., 6 a.m. He started to be crucified at 9 a.m. and suffered for six hours on that cross during that Friday. And here's what the scripture says. God made him Jesus who never knew sin to become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Salvation is the exchange of his record for ours. He took our sin. He died in that sin. Because of sin, he died. And he laid his life down and said, God, if you don't raise me from the dead, I'll be forever lost in this sin. He died for our sin. Jesus didn't raise himself up on the third day. God raised him up by the Holy Spirit. Do you trust God enough to die in the sins of others and know that he will raise you up? That's what it is to entrust your life to him. On the third day, his dead body lay in that grave and the spirit of God came to him. He was dead in sin. 
God raised him up. He had paid for the sins of this world. And the Holy Spirit raised him up to new life. What salvation is, is this. You are right now, if you've never received Jesus, dead, as good as dead in your sin. You're entombed in a life that can't have meaning. Let's continue. Verse three says, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations. Everybody say, passionate desires. Say, inclinations. Those are those logical thoughts that you say, well, if I had enough money, I'd be happy. If I had enough success, I'd be happy. If I had enough women, if I could be beautiful enough, all of those things, those are those passionate desires. They're totally logical to you, and if something doesn't break that logic, you'll chase them to your death. That's what it means to be in sin. Sin is not just your behavior. It's a life that you're in, and it's, head, it's like a stream of logic that if you follow it, it will take you nowhere. We were locked into these streams of logic. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead, everybody say dead, dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It is only by grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. One more scripture and we'll conclude. Romans 8.10 says, of believers and Christ lives within us. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit, everybody say the spirit. The spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, there's the Easter morning thing, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Say it again. Here's the point of our day, the whole point of the Easter message. Just as the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago entered a tomb and infused a dead body with the life of God and raised him up, that's worth celebrating, and if that was the whole story, we'd sit here, drop the microphone, I'd send you home. Here's the big deal. That same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in this room. He is alive in Montgomery County. He is at 6265 Shadow Bend, and he's in the seat right in front of you, right beside you, and he is knocking on the door of your life, and the entombed life that you're living. You're taking oxygen in and out of your lungs. You're achieving as fast as you can. You're going as hard as you can, but when your head hits the pillow, you know something's missing. Is there more? Yes. Jesus Christ came to this earth for this moment right here so that when y'all all gather, when we all gather here, he knew that you would be here and here's the great thing, though I can't convince you in a lawyer-esque argument that you need to give your life to him, I don't have to. The Spirit of God, it's either real or it is not, and he is either going to knock on your door or he is not, and I'm not counting on me this morning. The Spirit of the living God is upon this church right now, and he has anointed us to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. Here's what the gospel is not. The gospel is not Jesus died to make adulterers be monogamous with their wife. Jesus Christ didn't die to make liars tell the truth. Jesus Christ didn't die to make cheaters be fair. Jesus Christ didn't die to make... To 
to make gay people straight. Jesus Christ died to make dead people live. Jesus Christ did not die to change what you're doing. He died to change who you're becoming, where you're headed. And when we receive Jesus Christ, and gang, you need to hear me on this. This is bigger than, I, this is bigger than we have understood yet. That if and when you say, God, I'm entrusting you to raise me back to a meaningful life for you. I surrender control of it and give it to you. The Bible says, whom he foreknew, he did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. Do not underestimate the power of God to predestine. What does predestine mean? A lot of arguments theologically, but here's what it does mean. It means to give you a destiny in advance that you absolutely can't miss. When God has said, you will look like Jesus, you will look like Jesus. I have seen people give their life to Christ as young people, go and do every crazy thing, walk away from God, you know, reject God and do all kinds of things. And as they get older in life, the scripture says this, I'll be faithful. Whatever you commit to me, I'll be faithful to keep it. You may make a promise today you can't keep. I want you to know he takes you seriously. And even when you're not faithful, he is faithful. The grip that God grabs on our life when we say yes to him, the power of God to come and infuse us, you need to know when you say, I want you to be my God, he takes you seriously. It is not a fragile thing that you can just walk away from. He never forgets you. He is faithful to you. And he predestines you to look like Jesus Christ. If you choose to stay entombed, in a life, chasing money and all those things. Nothing wrong. By the way, God, God didn't have any problem with you having money. Are you being pretty? Are you having success? He does have a problem when you make it an idol and say, if I could just get that, then my life would have value and meaning. Today, there's nothing but two kinds of people that are sitting in this room today. Those that are entombed in a life with streams of logic that make perfect sense to you. If I could just get a little more, then I'll have meaning. And if the Holy Spirit of God does not come and interrupt that thinking, you will drive that set of thinking right off the cliff, entombed, and you'll never live. There's another group of people in here who have said yes to Christ Jesus. Not perfect. Working things out. Still messing up. Still capable of sin. I still, this pastor, do you ever struggle with sin all the time? To say yes to Jesus doesn't mean you stop dealing with the appetites of your flesh, but what it does mean is before you say yes to Jesus, they are master over you. When you say yes to Jesus, the spirit of holiness, called the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of you and bring life to you. You still feel those appetites, but they're not master over you any longer. Will your behavior begin to change? It will, but you don't change it first. It starts by simply saying, Holy Spirit, interrupt my logic and my thinking. Open my spiritual eyes. What I saw in, in my prayer time and what I asked the Holy Spirit to do, I can't convince you to make a decision for Christ today. But I can tell you this. We're going to bow our heads in just a moment, and we're going to talk to God. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here to do far more than I can do. He's already dealing with your heart and with your spirit. You've been wondering, what is that curious almost anxious thought that I have right now. That is God, the Holy Spirit. He is here in this room and he's wanting to enter the entombed life that you have and break open your, your life to give you life. 
and to raise your life back to a meaningful place headed toward him. If you're in need of that today, God is here to heal you. God's here to save you. Would you all bow your heads? Holy Spirit of God, would you come? Would you begin to minister to lives and to hearts right now? Lord, I believe there's men and women in this room that are very anxious, very troubled. And Lord, they're smelling the water that their soul is thirsty for right now. And Holy Spirit, it's because you are here to supernaturally open their eyes, open their grave, and start a new life. If you're here this morning and you would like to open to God, have your sin forgiven because of what Jesus has done, and have Jesus bring, as he promised, life. You want to get off the dead-end street that your life is entombed in, then the Spirit of God is here to enter your life, and it will miraculously happen in the next few moments if you open to it. I'm going to ask the entire church to pray with me If you mean this in your heart this morning, we call it being saved, being born again, lots of words, but it means the Spirit of the living God comes to bring a dead life back to life and to restore you to right relationship with Him. If you would like that, mean this prayer as we pray together. Everybody praying together, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, saying this, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you and I'm fully responsible. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ lived for me. He bled for me. He died for me to pay for my sin so that I could be saved. And I believe you raised him from the dead. I receive Jesus Christ as my savior, as my forgiveness as my substitute, as my redeemer, and as my Lord. I give you my life. I open to the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit of God, breathe life into me. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.